1: it's big blue banter the answer to all your giants matters from run game to coaching to bob shepherd's timbre hosted by dan schneier analysis on fire a giants fan since day one now preaching to the choir joined by nick villato breakdowns with bravado passing you the facts like he passes on gelato from just outside new york a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. O.C.U. Minoru lit up Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it. A podcast for Giants fans who are rabid. Who can't wait for Sundays. The NFC East the Fantasy League standards. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter.
2: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by Nick Filato. And this is going to be a special podcast because I'm coming to you recording live from the Blue Wire studio here in Las Vegas, Nevada at the Wynn. This is a pretty cool experience. I'm pretty excited. For those of you watching us on YouTube, you can see behind us. We're in the studio. It's awesome. Nick's, Nick's recording from home. He couldn't make it from Arizona. Maybe another time coming up. But that's the fun stuff. Today we're here to talk to you about the Giants offense on tape from the loss to the uh, Los Angeles Rams in week six. Wasn't the greatest loss, but there's still a lot of takeaways that are really important for the future of this franchise and as we build forward with the building blocks. I mean, Daniel Jones, Matt Parrott played a big role in this game. We saw some snaps from Andrew Thomas, obviously Kadarius Toney as well, and Sterling Shepard, who will be a part of this offense. We're going to break it all down on film, see if we found any potential gems in this offensive line as that also evolves through time as well. Nick, how are you doing today, my friend?
1: Doing well, man. I'm really digging your setup out there in Las Vegas. Welcome to the West Coast time. I'm telling you, Dan, I wanted to get your opinion on something. And I think I texted this to you. I'm a much bigger fan of being on the West Coast and watching football out here with the time that the West Coast has as opposed to the East Coast. How How do you feel about that?
2: So it was my first experience watching an NFL Sunday on the West Coast. Now, let me caveat this by saying... I was here this weekend with a large group of friends that all got together, and we're partying for the first time. We met virtually over the pandemic. It's an interesting group. We met virtually over the pandemic doing a charity poker tournament. Then we did weekly Zooms for a little while during the pandemic, and all decided to meet up in Vegas for a weekend. So it was a big weekend, and Saturday was a big night. And I'll be honest, waking up at 8 a.m. to get my work started for CBS, hungover as I could be, was not ideal. But having said that, all the games being finished – what time i mean the games were finished at what 8:30 well the one went to overtime with the steelers and uh the steelers and hawks but yeah it was nice i think i could get used to this in general it's kind of nice just starting your work day earlier and then being done earlier so it's it's a good experience out west here
1: i would 100% agree i'm i feel like i've acclimated to this west coast time very well i'm starting to get up early dan you know that's something i i never really i never really uh was too fond of, so it's uh, it's pretty nice out here in Arizona.
2: I feel like once or if I move to the West Coast, I'll be on that same schedule. I still consider myself a night owl, but I feel like I can get used to it. Like, I've been sleeping earlier out here because i got to wake up for work, so it all works out. But let's talk about this Giants football team and the first drive of the game because I think there's a separation point in this game. The games with Andrew Thomas on the f- – I'm sorry, the drives with Andrew Thomas on the field and the drives without Andrew Thomas on the field because this Giants offense, man, it looks really different with him on the field and without him because – Daniel Jones specifically is a less confident quarterback without him on the field, and I can't blame him for that. Nate Solder's still playing tackle in the NFL. I'm not sure he'd be starting for any team besides the Giants, but he is starting for the Giants. And Matt Parrott, who got a really big run these past two weeks, he's not looking the way we want to look at him, but let's start by breaking down the first drive and what you saw here, Nick. Um, I'll give you my first takeaway before I throw it over to you. There was a big missed opportunity on that first and ten. And it leads me to, so obviously what they did is they ran their concept with their play action, take a shot on first down, max protect type look, and that's kind of how they've been doing this all year long and finding success out of these max protection looks on the play action deep shots. But it feels to me like teams are starting to catch on to this, Nick, and obviously it's a little bit different when you're facing a Rams defense that has the edge rushers like they have. You see on this play, I mean, Nate Solder gets completely embarrassed again. Um, And the play never has a chance to get off, but there is an open receiver breaking in on this concept. So break this one down and let me know if you think that we're getting to a point where the Giants need to kind of mix things up because I feel like I keep seeing on film week after week after week, a lot of these max protect deep shots off the play action. So tell me if you think that's something teams are adjusting to and something that kind of is playing a role in their, you know, in in not working as much in this game.
1: Yeah, And also not having Saquon Barkley probably, factors into the fact that the defense doesn't respect the run as much. That could be somewhat of a factor here, but that play, I mean, there was somebody open over the middle of the field, but Daniel Jones couldn't do anything. Nate Solder was beat. The Aaron Donald effect was in full, I guess you could say, effect this entire game, dude, because Greg Gaines was able to shed his block because Matt Scura, who Andrew Thomas thought was helping him, Matt Skura ends up having to bail out Billy Price because Aaron Donald is coming right up the middle of the field, which Andrew Thomas had outside shade kind of on Greg Gaines. The inside guy, Matt Skura ends up leaving Andrew Thomas, and then Greg Gaines runs right up the middle and nails Daniel Jones as well. It was just a really crappy uh, situation, and it was – I guess you could say, man, like – the best outcome for that play almost because it was a fumble and it was a sack and it was terrible. And I can't believe Daniel Jones actually ended up getting some points on this drive, but I am so surprised that wasn't a touchdown, but what a way to start at home with that play. Man. That is yep. not making a statement whatsoever. The defense made a huge statement there and you saw just on the rest of the drive, man, how involved Kadarius Tony was. He was so involved that, of course, he ends up getting injured after his three catches, and there were some really nice plays on this first drive to take away from the offense.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, my favorite play on this drive was also my favorite play of the game, the third and 14 that Jones hit, uh, you know, backed up in his own end zone, and this is really... When you were looking for, right now, we're looking for traits. We're looking for things and reasons to believe that the Giants might have their franchise quarterback. At this point, at one in five, it's all about the future. That's where this podcast headed. We're gonna break down the film, but we're gonna break down the film with the idea of finding players who can be a part of the solution and not a part of what we've had these past four years. And when you see Jones as poised as he was on that third and fourteen to deliver the ball into that perfect spot, that's a tight window throw. I mean, it's right by the sideline. If you throw that a little left. It's going to be incomplete. Feel a little inside. It might be intercepted. It might be broken up. He delivers that ball while standing tall and poised in the pocket and with a hit coming down on him because obviously the pass protection, once again, just not there for the New York Giants almost every play of this game. You'll see as we get to in the final superlatives of this podcast, when we get to the offensive line grades, man, we've been grading them low all year on film, but this might be the lowest two grades that me and Nick have <laughs> ever had. But. Like you said, there's more reasons of hope on this first drive. Like if they can get these guys together, Andrew Thomas, Daniel Jones, Kadarius Tony. You mentioned Tony. Get into it, man, because he had some really good plays on this drive.
1: Yeah, he had great plays. I mean, that pivot that just left Robert Rochelle in the dust. I think we brought up how Robert Rochelle was left in the dust at the senior bowl when Kadarius Tony, and uh when Kadarius Tony and him practiced on that Tuesday. But he's a true playmaker, man. He's he's an excellent player. And I'm excited about his future here. And on the drive, just in general, I mean, Jason Garrett was able to call a solid drive despite the, you know, lackluster start. He had some RPOs. You had a couple of nice runs from Devontae Booker, some power gap runs. I think he had a 14-yard gain. He also had a nine-yard gain. It didn't seem like Daniel Jones and his backup receivers all game were on the same page. Dante Pettis dropped that RPO out route. Pass wasn't perfect. You also had Sterling Shepard drop the screen a little bit later on in the drive, and it resulted in that Colin Johnson goal line fade which we all love to see and then the end result of that was obviously the the field goal, but it was peculiar to me that there was a flag thrown on that play and I'm 100% fine with them not throwing the flag or them picking the flag in that situation, but I feel like that rarely happens. When the flag comes out, they the refs rarely pick it up. And it's just a, another thing that kind of works against the Giants here. Not that I'm making excuses. The Giants got <laughs> completely embarrassed in this game, but that was just a nice way to cap off this, the most impressive drive of the game from the New York <laughs> Giants, sadly.
2: And it's funny you mention that because I remember going over it in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers game last year when we broke down the film on that, the flag they picked up off the field in that game. Do you yep. remember that one? Yeah. And it just seems like it does happen in the Giants' lap, but I'm sure, you know, other teams would, uh, you know, podcasters from other teams would tell you the same thing. I did want to bring up one thing in this series that, you know, wasn't so good, and it was the red zone play calling and the red zone execution. Just similarly, a, a problem for this Giants team and really in this Jason Garrett era is you go on these 14 play drives, but in the end, it results in three points. And it's very hard to win in the NFL by kicking field goals, in my mind. I stand by that point and. I really just hated the red zone play calling mix. I know it's partly execution, but you start on first down, you try to throw that outside, uh, you know, the in breaking screen, and that kind of tight quarters. We went over this a few podcasts ago. It just it hasn't been working for the Giants, and it just doesn't work very often in the NFL. Then you run the you know the, the run up the middle on second down. That's almost a wasted down, especially with this interior offensive line they have on the field and Nate Solder at tackle. And then finally on third down, you just, it's almost like a give-up play. They just run, you know, what is widely renowned around, around the NFL as the worst play call in the red zone, the, the, the pylon fade throw to Colin Johnson. I mean, you ask any, any good coordinator right now, the McVeighs of the world, you know, whoever you want to consider the best coordinators, they'll tell you the pylon fade on third and goal or whenever you run it in the goal in the red zone. is just not a good play call. So I just wonder, man, like, what's going through Jason Garrett when he's running, he's running these series of plays out there?
1: Yeah, I'm not 100% certain. I mean, the the Sterling Shepard play, that should have been good for at least four or five yards to put the Giants into a second and manageable. But then they're in a second and 10 because he can't hold on to the damn football. And that leads to a shotgun GT counter where Jalen Ramsey just absolutely just slides around Will Hernandez and gets enough of Devante Booker. So Booker picks up, I think like two or three yards or something like that. That Jalen Ramsey had a couple plays like that, Dan, where he just slid around blocks and just made impressive tackles just by like basically throwing his forearm into the shin of Devontae Booker. He's a really, really uh, interesting player uh, for sure. But I don't know, man. This has been something with Jason Garrett's offense that has been prevalent for all too long. Long, sustained drives that end in three points. You're not going to win football games like that, man. You're not going to win football games. We've seen the capability of the Giants this season to create explosive plays in spurts. Obviously, New Orleans being the main play. We saw a little bit of it in Denver and a couple other times throughout the season, just on the first drive, Daniel Jones found receivers downfield. But overall, man, it hasn't been something that's consistent and I don't envision it being something the Giants are going to be able to maintain going forward because their offensive line is a mess right now bro an absolute mess I'm surprised Daniel Jones made it through this game alive
2: and we'll talk about that because the offensive line is a mess right now and obviously we know who's to blame or I know who in my mind I know who's to blame people will blame injuries but you know you can't blame injuries when the depth is what it was going into the season and is what it was now is what it is now but the fact of the matter is, it will lead to some excuses for Daniel Jones as well, which we're going to have to talk about. This was a big, my mind, regression game for Jones, even with all the excuses. And I do believe they are valid excuses, not just the offensive line, but all the injuries at wide receiver. In a game like this, in football, you mean you need that chemistry. You need that rapport with the receivers. You could tell a lot of, even that, that short, quick out to Pettis uh, you know, early in the game after Tony went down, that the timing just wasn't there. And you could tell that it wasn't there. They hadn't practiced it. They hadn't got the reps uh, before this game. So there are excuses, but he did have some really serious regression in this game, which we're going to have to get to. But Giants end that drive with three, and then they surprisingly force a a Rams punt before kind of going on their own small, uh, you know, get a first down but end up punting on the next drive. Anything that you
1: took away from that second drive? Well, this was the drive that was the fourth and one quarterback sneak that failed. Yeah, that that was a – I mean, I'm – We've kind of bashed Joe Judge a little bit on this podcast for being a little bit too conservative in the past, but at that spot, what was that the Giants 41-yard line, to run a fourth and one quarterback sneak with a player who just got off concussion protocol is a bit of a peculiar call. Would you agree?
2: <laughs> I, I would think so.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But um, I did like the third and eight conversion to Sterling Shepard against J- uh, Jalen Ramsey. Jones on that play he ended up getting nailed and thought he did a solid job also on the third and 15 finding Pettis. But, of course, Pettis couldn't pick up that one extra yard. You know, he just picked up 14 yards. But Jones had to extend the play. He had a lot of chaos around him in the pocket. Ends up finding Pettis on that deep dig route. And it just sucks that Pettis didn't kind of cut that angle it up the field a little bit more than they would have been able to probably get an extra 10 or 15 yards. But I'm not going to, you know, bash Pettis for that. Just led to that fourth and one, unfortunately. But, man, it's brought it up earlier. Aaron Donald, dude. He's just a, a freak of nature what he's able to do in the interior the giants were putting such a focus on stopping this guy and he had such an impact on almost every single play it seemed like in protections in the run game the guy is an absolute animal out there and the fact the giants were putting billy price and matt Skurra and Wes martin out there yeah. is just indicative of where the giants are right now as a franchise
2: right and even hernandez who's at best an average starter for them at right guard nothing really yes. to really look forward to but I will say this. I mean, it does feel like this was the, obviously the only game of film, and we had one last year where me and Nick have watched Aaron Donald on film, so now we have a two-game sample size dating back to last year. We've watched a lot of Leonard Williams. It doesn't feel like they're anywhere close to the same player, at least from my eyes and at least from my vantage point. I know they're paid similarly, and you kind of need that. though. You, kinda, you almost kind of need a Donald-like impact out of Williams. I don't know if they're ever going to get it. He's a fine piece to build around in some ways, but – they're just not the same player out there. But I will say this about that drive because this is kind of where it starts to fall off the rails a little bit after this one. Jones had two really good plays. The, the, you talked about the first third down that he converted for eight to Shepard. I mean, that's another one where he shows off a good trait. His trait is poised in the pocket. like Knowing that hit is coming down on him, willing to deliver the ball anyway. And then the, the play you said, you know, the one just before the fourth and one where the Giants are seemingly the only team I've ever seen stopped on a QB sneak fourth and one. I guess the Bills are, are the next team that happened uh, – uh, two nights ago but <laughs> last night actually but you know it seems like on that third down play jones did a really good job navigating the pocket you seem kind of moving in and out knowing that his press, the press protection is not there knowing that the pressure's bearing down and then finding a solution it didn't go for the first down but it's a solution it gives them a fourth and manageable situation to make an aggressive call but obviously they don't get it and then the giants defense forces another punt here and the giants get the ball back three nothing you're starting to get the feel like Can the Giants maybe win this game with a couple explosive plays on offense? I know at this point, Kadarius Toney's out. He's injured. Um, And according to Pat Leonard, that that injury could linger. I mean, he's supposedly definitely out for this week and and maybe held out longer. So that's super disappointing. But you start to get to feel like maybe, just maybe, the Giants can do something in this game. And then they have a three and out here. So anything to take away from this three and out?
1: Not nah, just a run from Devontae Booker and then you had to stick around to Evan Ingram to set up the third and one and then not to just beat this dead horse here but Aaron Donald just absolutely just taking advantage of Matt Scurro with the quick arm over move to shoot the B gap and then that didn't necessarily result in a tackle for Aaron Donald but what it did was put him into the B gap which was the design location for the run so then Devontae Booker had to cut it to the weak side and there was defenders there waiting for him couldn't pick up the first down forced a punt. Giants were kind of deep in their uh, back in their own end zone anyways. So unless they picked up the first down, they were going to punt it, obviously not go for it again in that situation. But it was a just a three and out, something that's a little bit too common right now with this offense.
2: <laughs> yeah, and uh, Aaron Donald, man, I mean, you watch, we've watched a lot of players on film from other teams this year. And, and since we've been doing this podcast, I think he's got to be the most dominant and impactful player that I've watched since we started covering this team. Like, I'm trying to think, can you think of a player who's, been more impactful not only in what he accomplishes on the field but what he requires you to do I mean there were there was the play early in the game where he had a double team the Giants had a double team with I believe Skira at that point was in the game and Price he splits the double team and gets the pressure on Jones I think that was the third and 14 he completed but it's just amazing what this guy can do on the field
1: yeah, he also split a double team from Skura and Andrew Thomas there were there were plenty of plays I think one of these drives it was literally like he he Disrupted Daniel Jones terribly. He knocked a pass out of the air and then he made a tackle for a loss. It's like this guy is just everywhere. And I mean, I, I remember him coming out of pit, dude. I loved him. But that is draft, it? man, 2014, that draft was just stacked, bro. I mean, the Giants, we oh. couldn't be upset by who the Giants ended up taking with Odell. Oh. He gave us a lot of good years.
2: I will say this, Nick, and this is a shout out to Ronnie Schneier, my father. He was a big, big Aaron Donald fan at the time, big proponent. And even after Odell broke out, was stayed true to it. He's like, Dan, you have no idea. The impact that a player like Aaron Donald can make in the trenches is so much more than a receiver can ever make. And not only was he right about that, because I do think Aaron Donald makes a bigger impact than basically in my mind, I'll say any receiver in the NFL, not basically any receiver in the NFL, but also the longevity factor. I mean, he's been an amazing elite player since 2014 and he's not slowing down (laughs) in any way. So Just an excellent player and this is when the wheels start to fall off for the giants the rams go down score a touchdown now the giants are playing for behind will hernandez commits a false start on third and four they're in third and nine and here comes that sack fumble for daniel jones we had one earlier the giants are covered this one they weren't so lucky what happened on this play nick
1: what's going on everyone football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find giants tickets anymore because tick pick that's t-i-c-k-p-i-c-k is the original no fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Matt parrot man, he tried to initiate contact with that inside arm. Not the outside arm, like we talked about last week, but that inside arm as his hips were swiveling open. So that just gives such an easy access to his outside shoulder and then right around him and it's just a disastrous way to allow those edges to kind of bend through contact or rip through the outside and that's kind of exactly what happened and these are similar issues that we saw with matt parrot he's not good with protecting that upfield shoulder that outside shoulder his hip discipline is is not great i feel like he doesn't necessarily always get the necessary depth in his sets as well so there's a lot of issues technically with matt parent we saw him on full display here and that was just a really really bad rep from him and okua kid from oklahoma from a couple years ago i think i said that correctly just absolutely uses his speed and quickness to take advantage of a tackle i think that was matt parents like first and correct me if i'm wrong but i think that was his first play in the game his first passing attempt at least so it's just We saw some positive things from him last week. And of course that was relative to Nate Solder. And it's not too easy to look great when you're playing next to Nate Solder. And I'm not trying to sit here and take shots, but Nate Solder's a little bit over the hill at this point of his career. But right now teams had tape on him. They knew to attack that outside shoulder to use his speed. And I never really felt like Matt had a strong punch or pop when he initiates contact to begin with. So a hard, Chop or rip move that so you can combine them both, chop going downward, force the momentum of parrot forward, get him his equilibrium a little bit screwed up, and then rip through the outside shoulders, raise that center of gravity again it's a dangerous move that he struggled to defend for two straight years now
2: yeah, I mean, I remember right when it happened in the live uh broadcast you you texted me, this is why Matt Parrot doesn 't play and I mean I get it it's <laughs> it's just it's a bad situation to be in though because Nate Soldier is over the hill there's no we're not taking shots here I mean you look at the film it's so obvious that and this is just really one of the most – this, to me, is one of the biggest black marks on Dave Gettleman's – I mean, there's a huge, huge laundry list. We're not going to get into it. I know some people don't like it when we somehow when we rehash this stuff. But, I mean, the whole management of this Nate Solder contract from – giving him the biggest contract ever at the, at the time for a left tackle to restructuring it and pushing back the cap it so you can't cut him to the point where you count on him this year as your swing tackle. That's a big position, as we learn now. With the injury to Andrew Thomas, and he's now gone on injured reserve, so he's going to miss a minimum of three games, but he's already been in and out of the lineup. Swing tackle is a huge position, and it was it was really negligent by this coaching staff. And it's not just the GM; it's by the coaching staff as well to go into the season with Nate Solder as your swing tackle just because he had some cap, you know, some dead cap tied to his contract. That's not a good reason. That's you. you ha- they had to see this in practice. There's no way they could have watched practice and not seen this because when you watch Solder, there's no there's no anchor. There's the, even the technique looks worse. He's not quick anymore. So yeah, you had to see this in, co- in in practice, but you don't. But like you said, man, this is why Matt Parrott wasn't playing earlier. And at this point, you know, we're in year two with Matt Parrott. Um, there's the, he was a big ball of clay. We drafted him. We were excited about him because of all the upside. But this is kind of what happens with, uh, with offensive tackles selected outside the top 32 and really in general selected outside the top 15. You need to really invest those big premium assets in the offensive tackles if you want to find them they had a chance with Slater this year obviously we can't complain about getting a Tony in a first but as we roll into this next draft with two first round picks they got to be scouting these offensive tackles hard because I'm I'm hoping there's another Rashawn Slater in this draft I'm hoping there's another Tristan Wirfs and you know I can even start to throw Andrew Thomas in that mix because he was playing elite football until the injury this year so hopefully he can keep that up but Nick we roll on the the Rams score again so now they're down 14-3 and we know Things are getting iffy for the Giants. Down 14-3, no Kadarius Tony. no Andrew Thomas at this point, which is an even bigger deal. There's not many cards left in the deck. This is like, and I'm in Vegas, so I'm going to give my poker reference. I know some people don't love it. <laughs> some people love it, though. Some people get it. Some people love it. At this point, no Thomas, no Tony. no Galladay, no Barkley. I'm pretty much dealt on the button 10-6 offsuit, so I can make a hand here. I might be able to make a straight. I might be able to make trips. Maybe I luck my way into a two-pair that holds, but... It's a tough spot, and obviously on this drive, the Giants, once again, another three and out situation. Anything to take away from this one?
1: I understand what the Giants are trying to do on that third and 11. It was a deep speed-out route to John Ross, and I felt like the entire game, the Giants were really trying to take advantage of the Rams' quarters looks. They play a lot of quarters, a lot of cover six, a lot of off type of coverage. So the Giants and Rams did the same thing against the Giants defense who were playing off as well. They were attacking the flats. They were taking what the defense was giving them. And that kind of also led to some of the mistakes that we see throughout this game, because Daniel Jones got a little bit aggressive and tried to fit the ball to the boundary with a curl flat defender underneath. And he almost threw an interception on the last drive that we didn't talk about with Taylor Rapp as well, because he thought Rapp was going to attach to the drag route, but instead he sunk to the dig route on the high-low type of concept. And then what happened, he just dropped the interception. Or that might be, a. Uh, no, no, it was the Evan Ingram route is what I'm talking about. Evan Ingram, that was the stick route, and Evan Ingram actually flowed away into space. We talked about this on the reaction pod. That was actually what he was supposed to do, but Daniel Jones and him weren't on the same page, and I felt like, Dan, I wanted to get your opinion on this. That was another key point of this whole game. Yeah, the defense did what they had to do, but the rapport with Daniel Jones and his receivers, maybe it's because he didn't really practice all that much through the week, clearing the concussion protocol, because it wasn't just Colin Johnson, it wasn't just The younger players, Dante Pettis. It wasn't just them. It was also Evan Ingram. It was also Sterling Shepard. Sometimes, even though Shepard ended up having a nice game, what do you think was the issue with the rapport for these receivers? You think it was just a product of the Rams, or or what's going on there?
2: No, I think it's a product of you know we're down, we're going down the depth chart right now at the wide receiver position, and. Kadarius Tony was clearly a huge part of this game plan, yeah. just like last week against the Cowboys. The offense ran through Tony; like it was a specific game plan to run through Tony. I, I believe they just feel like at this point, no one can really cover the plays they're running with Tony. And contra, you know, the evidence is there. I mean, that first drive, he was dominant again. He was dominant. There was no he got open on the third and long on the third and fourteen, and then, he, like you said, he created that unbelievable pivot back to the inside. Great, what was basically another ten yards after the catch. Um, on the play he got injured on, but once you take out the guy you're game planning around, you don't no longer have Galladay. You, you know Shepard's coming back from injury, hasn't had as many reps with Jones. It's just kind of like those Eli years when there were so many injuries at the wide receiver position, and the rapport, the chemistry wasn't there, especially when you're not practicing with the backups during the week. So combination of all those things, but yeah, it was ugly, man. And and just another thing on that there, on the play you're talking about with Ross. I mean, did you see? Uh, you put it in your notes. So you obviously saw this, but man, Nate Solder against Donald on that one. Whew, that was ugly.
1: Yeah, Nate Solder against Donald's never going to be something that's going to be great for the New York Giants at, the, at this point. Nate Solder against really anybody. And again, not trying to be mean to him. He's just, his, his anchor's not there. He's more of a liability out there. But the fact that the Giants, and this has to be brought up and acknowledged, the Giants don't have a better option right now. They don't have a better option. That says a lot about the current state of this roster. And I get the Giants had two offensive linemen retire during training camp. They were both interior guys. Those weren't offensive tackles. Joe Looney, and Zach Fulton were not offensive tackles. So the Giants were content with going into this season with Matt Perron, soldier Solder, let the cream rise to the top, but neither of them are rising to the top. And now the Giants are mid-season one and five with their possible franchise quarterback back there with their star left tackle on IR and had to rely on both these guys. Just such a terrible situation. I know we touched on it a little bit before, but it is a little bit infuriating.
2: Yeah, and, I, and I'm not going to give any breaks to either, not only the GM here, because obviously the whole structure of that soldier contract is to blame, but the coaching staff, because they went into this year saying that Nate Solder can be their swing tackle. Swing tackle's a very important position. You can't you can't not give them any you can't not give them any blame when they're watching practice of Nate Solder and they're saying, okay, this guy can be our swing tackle. And I know there's not many better options, but there's not many worse options right now than Nate Solder out there. I'm sure there could have been a better option found than Nate Solder right now because he just doesn't look good. But here is when the wheels start to really fall off. It's still fourteen three, but here's when you know what a game for Taylor Rapp. I mean, he was reading Jones. And this is when we started to see the big regression. This was definitely a regression game from Jones. I know we talked a lot last week. There's been a lot of excitement for Jones this season, uh, specifically after the Saints game, and then even after that Cowboys game with some of the work he did with Darius Toney. There, a, 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 before he got injured, obviously. And there's a lot of reason to believe that you know Jones was taking that step forward. But like I always said, I need to see a larger sample size. I need to see him build on it. Four games of taking a step forward is simply not enough. And... We need to see a full sample size. This was definitely a regression game from Jones. I thought the interceptions were really bad interceptions. They were like Eli at his worst type interceptions, the type of stuff you just can't (laughs) see when you just can't understand what's happening. He just doesn't see the underneath defender. This was the first example of that one, so kind of break down the play he threw the first interception on here.
1: Yeah, it's a three-by-one set, and you're going to have... The number three receiver, so the innermost receiver, which is Evan Ingram, run kind of a deep in route. You can call it a dig; it's more of a deep in. Then there's going to be the number two and the number one receiver. So the two outside receivers in the three by one set to the bound or to the field are going to run square in routes. So they're just mirrored routes. And the concept here, or what's going on in Daniel Jones's mind, is that Taylor Rapp, who is that middle hook defender, is going to sink underneath to the to the first in route, which is the number two receiver, Sterling Shepard. Daniel Jones hits his back foot and he sees 24, which is Taylor Rapp, kind of step a little bit towards the direction of Sterling Shepard. So he expects him to kind of latch onto that. And he's going to be able to put the ball right behind his ear hole to Evan Ingram, try to fit it through a tight window. But that window closes very quick because Taylor Rapp just easily is watching in zone coverage. He's watching the eyes of Daniel Jones. He sees Daniel Jones kind of go up and over him to Evan Ingram and not look at Sterling Shepard. So he just undercuts the route intercepts the pass. and This is his first interception could have been his second interception of the game for Taylor Rapp because he dropped the one before that we were going over. It's just, you know, you're trying to throw with anticipation. You're trying to kind of get a beat on the defense and the defense was on top of it. And Taylor Rapp was on top of everything in this game because he was all over the place.
2: Yeah, He was really aggressive in this game. and and, And for good reason, I mean, Listen, Jones. These stare-down plays from Jones—they're alarming, to say the least. I mean, you don't want to see that from a third-year quarterback. It's a regression. You can call it regression, um, but obviously there are factors in this one. We can, you know, he has no confidence in his offensive line at this point, which is never great. He's playing with, you know, down three players down the depth chart at wide receiver from Slayton to Tony to Galladay. So. There are factors that are involved here, and we're going to factor them in. But at the same time, we can't—you know—we need to see more from him for sure. Seventh drive, uh, it continues to fall off the rails here with the uh, cover six play here by the Rams. Really good look for them for the second interception here. Um, but I, I know you talked about D, uh, Jones missing uh, a curl route here that might have been open on this third and seven before the interception. So, uh, what did you see on that specific interception? And then, kind of, what did you see more of on this drive?
1: Yeah, so the third and seven play, the Giants come out in a three by two. Set, so they're empty, which I like that. And the Rams throw an exotic stunt at them, which sends Terrell Lewis right through the A gap, right into Daniel Jones's face. But Dante Pettis, and this is the second time on this concept, where Dante Pettis does a good job releasing off the line of scrimmage, kind of angling his stem a bit outward to kind of get up under the toes of number 21. And he does that, and he sinks his hips at the 50-yard mark, just about two or three yards past the sticks. But Daniel Jones puts it to his outside shoulder, which isn't a terrible spot to put this football because 21's flowing over the top of, of Dante Pettis here. But the timing and the rhythm of the play are just not there. And I get that Daniel Jones is under pressure here, but the throw isn't on target. Could this be Dante Pettis not being in the right place at the right time? Possibly. I'm sure there's some of that in this because we had this speed out RPO that he wasn't, that did not connect. We had another deep curl in this game that did not connect. That was at least three that come to my mind or Dante Pettis and Daniel Jones weren't on the same page. And I'm sure that's because of practice and rapport. Dante Pettis just called up for this game. I'm sure that's probably more the reason why, but at the same time, you also have the Rams sending exotic pressure packages at Daniel Jones and the Giants protection, not being able to pick it up.
2: And as you noted in your notes, Nick, and it's littered through my notes as well, it's just another drive where Aaron Donald took over. I mean, this is a guy who took over this game. He made it impossible for this Giants offensive line. Yes, they're down to back some backups on this offensive line. Not all. Some of these guys are guys they invested in expected big things from. Hernandez, Parrott. So I'm not going to give that full excuse, but... Man, he took over this game and it made it really difficult all right we're not going that, that was the end of the half at that point it's 28 three this game is all but over in my mind yeah we, we saw the meme online like I, I saw someone put up a tweet 28 uh, three Rams versus the Giants and they put up a timestamp and then 28 uh, three Patriots versus the the, the uh, Falcons from the Super Bowl. And I thought it was funny It's like well one, one example you got Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback and the greatest player of all time leading, <laughs> leading a fully healthy offense and one you got Daniel Jones with what's left of this Giants offense but we won't go over every single drive in the second half, Nick. But any key takeaways from any of the drives? Just give over the. Uh, just uh, shout out the drive name, and then let's go over those plays.
1: Yeah. So first, you had the deep dig interception where Sterling Shepard fell down. That's not on Daniel Jones. Right. That's that's not that's not Daniel Jones' fault. Sterling Shepard just kind of slipped in and out of his break. That was at the end of the uh, first half. Just wanted to kind of bring that up. Robert Rochelle comes away, I think, with his first interception of his career, so kudos to him, but it was a gimme type of interception. And then I want to also just kind of bring up, and I'm not 100% certain which drive it was, but the other interception just because we're talking about them, and that was the interception that we've talked about a little bit with Taylor Rapp undercutting it from the curl flat spot, a deep curl from, I think it was – was that Dante Pettis or John Ross, whoever it was, it didn't matter. That was one where it really looked like rookie Daniel Jones. I'm going to catch the football and I'm going to shoot my eyes to my primary target and I'm going to try to fit the football into this place that probably shouldn't fit a football. And he attempted to do so. And it was undercut by Taylor Rapp and Taylor Rapp continued his excellent game on that play. And those are the mistakes, man, that we haven't seen a lot of from Daniel Jones this season. But they're still well within his range. There's still mistakes that he's going to make. And I get this game's well out of reach here. He's just trying to make something happen. But if we're going to be fair, he has had a couple plays like this through the season. It's just the defenders didn't hold on to the interception. So we always kind of forget about it. I feel like we have brought it up before. I don't think it's been a persistent problem, but it's still there. And those mistakes have to be mitigated.
2: You're 100% right, Nick. And if you look back even just on the podcast we've done this season, breaking down all 22, we've talked a lot about missed interceptions and close interceptions for Daniel Jones. And there's still, from my vantage point when I'm watching the film week after week, there still are a fair amount of plays, even in some of the better games, even you know in that Washington game, for example, for sure, where he's just staring down reads. And he's staring down for a while. He's going with what he thinks he has pre-snap and he's taking it. But I do think that when he does trust his offensive line – He's shown better examples of working back through his progressions and kind of coming off that first three, it's not there. It just kind of all comes down to that trust of the offensive line. Right now he can't trust his offensive line, and I don't blame him. And there's only one person to blame for that in my mind, but we won't. This is not the podcast for that, Nick. All right. Anything else from the second half that stood out to you before we dive into some some uh, superlatives from the film?
1: So a lot of garbage time, I will say yeah. I'm glad to see that Daniel Jones was able to. And I know it's extreme garbage time, but he was able to put something out there. Now, I don't necessarily agree with him being on the football field there. I think that's a good way to get your franchise quarterback who was hurt last week, hurt again. I don't think that's a a great way to win football games. Joe Judge has to do a little bit better job taking care of his players there, and I understand competition and all that stuff. But it was, I guess, if we're going to try to look at the positives, nice to see a a touchdown drive so the Giants maybe can be like, yay, we scored, we scored here, but – not there's not a lot of positives to take away. There was some reckless football. There was some soft coverages. Giants doing what they had to within Jason Garrett's offense of just you know hitting on the slant flats, hitting on the stick concepts, hitting on some deep digs, hitting on some vertical concepts, which which was nice, but nothing too far down the football field. And without Kadarius Tony and against this Ram secondary, which is not the Ram secondary from last year, it's going to be diff- it was still difficult for the Giants to to move the football.
2: Yeah, you're right. And I love that term. We're probably going to coin it and use it more often. That's extreme garbage time. And that's what it was. Extreme garbage time when they scored that touchdown. I mean, the Rams at that point, I don't know if it didn't look like the same kind of energy on defense that they had at the beginning of the game. And I don't blame them. There's really nothing to lose from giving up that touchdown at that point for them. It is truly extreme garbage time. But that brings me to a topic that we should discuss before we get to these superlatives. And that's, uh, uh, Joe Judge's decision to play Daniel Jones toward the end of that game and really for the entire fourth quarter. I personally do not agree with that decision. I'm not a believer that, oh, competition, this is going to be good for the team. The team is 1-5. The season is over. And you're playing a quarterback who's coming off a concussion in the fourth quarter of a game, and you're re-risking injury. He doesn't have his uh, franchise left tackle. He has Nate Solder and Matt Parrot out there at tackle. You have to have two eyes at that point, Joe Judge. You're seeing what, kind, what they're putting on film right there, what they're putting week after week on film, and that's Matt Parrott and Nate Soldiers, your tackles. You're seeing what Matt Skier and Wes Martin are putting on film at guard. Will Hernandez, Billy Price. I mean, it's a really reckless coaching decision. I don't see what personally like there's much to gain. The Giants were 3-2 and two or 4-1. and one. I might see like there's more to gain because you're just getting reps. But you gotta put you got to put the protection of your franchise, potential franchise quarterback ahead of anything at that point in my mind. And I strongly disagreed with Joe Judge's decision to keep him in the game.
1: Yeah, it was definitely not a, a wise move. And we saw Mike Glennon on the sidelines with his helmet on. It looked like Glennon was going to come in. But Jones, I don't know if he forced the issue and wanted to play. But I, I just think in a blowout like that late in the fourth quarter, you're not gaining too much keeping him in the game there. It's just uh, especially one week removed from the concussion
2: protocol. Yep, no doubt. All right, let's get into some perlatives of this offense. This is going to be a tough one to do. I mean, this is not a good offensive performance. Do you have an unheralded player of the week on offense? We've had one, for the record, since we've been doing this since the start of the season. We have had an unheralded player on film all year. Do you have one for this week, Nick? Save me. I don't, man. Save no, me, because I don't want have man. one. Save me. I don't. I can't think no, of one. There, I can't think of one. one. Maybe Shepard. That's about it. I mean,
1: that's that's the only player that I think I can say, yeah, Sterling Shepard. He played solidly. He did what Sterling Shepard does. He's a highly efficient wide receiver who gets a lot of targets and usually capitalizes on them. Doesn't necessarily have the boom type of factor, but he has a very very high floor and he's at a solid contributor to the offense. But a lot of those catches were also in garbage time. Right. So how much are you going to take away from that? And he also had a really really detrimental drop that helped kill a drive that resulted in only three points instead of seven early on in the game. So yep. you got the factor that in as well.
2: Yeah, you're right. I wanted to give this to Billy Price, but then I rewatched the film from the end zone angle and I was like, oh, I can't give this to Billy Price. He was terrible. I mean, like, he's not terrible. He was, he's just making so many mistakes and still blowing so many blocks. He's, he's not, I don't know if he's going to be the answer for them long-term at center. Obviously, uh, this is assuming nah. Nick Gates can't come back from the injury.
1: I, I don't think Billy Price is, is the no. answer. I mean, he's a free agent at the end of this season, but at the same time, he's going to get, you know his ass kicked when he's facing Aaron Donald, sure. which is the majority of centers in the league do. So I want to kind of you know be fair to Billy Price right here. He made a lot of mistakes, yes, but so does basically ninety percent of the centers who have the unfortunate task of attempting to block Aaron Donald.
2: <laughs> yeah, this podcast has, has focused a lot on Baron Donald so far. You know, it's a bad offensive day when we're talking this much about an opposing team's defensive player. But I mean, this 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 tape, it's like if it, everything's digital now. But if I did have a film, a copy of this film. I would pull a Rex Ryan and I'd take it out to my backyard and I'd bury it in my backyard and never, never watch it again. Um, was there a Sadly,
1: <laughs> la- la- last week was similar too, man, with Trevon Diggs and, and yeah. some of the defensive players for the Cowboys. There just wasn't a lot of positives to take away. Only with that, it was injuries to Saquon Barkley, to Kenny Galladay,
2: Daniel to Jones. Daniel
1: Jones. This one was more of just, I mean, yeah, they, they had the Kadarius Toney and the Andrew Thomas injuries, a lot of injuries, but it was also just a deflating loss at home. Now, I didn't expect the Giants to win this football game by any means, but I didn't expect to get absolutely boat-raised either.
2: Yeah, they were competitive against the Rams last season, very competitive. It came down to the end. Obviously, we talked a lot about that, but when the Rams went to that no huddle, and they caught the Giants off guard with that long Cooper Cup touchdown. That's what really changed that game. And even after that, the Giants had a chance to come back down and win that game when Daniel Jones threw that interception on that final drive. So completely different games from one season to the next, even though it can be argued that the Rams defense was, is considerably worse than it was last year. So was there a best route run for you on film? Do you have a best route run?
1: So not necessarily, but it, I actually want to go with one where Daniel Jones was sacked. It was the third and nine play where Daniel Jones gets sacked and he fumbles the football. And it was a deep dig route from a three-by-one set, number two receiver from Sterling Shepard. And Sterling Shepard stems outside and he has the defender on his outside hip. And he just kind of sticks his outside foot in the ground and then explodes inside. And if Jones had a little bit more time, he had about a yard and a half of separation on his defender. And the underneath window, those middle hook defenders were kind of I guess, occupied by Evan Inger at the time. So if there was time provided to Daniel Jones, sure. this could have been a big play to Sterling Shepard. Not a great route or an over-the-top route, but if I'm trying to be positive, it was a solid dig route from Sterling Shepard, somebody who was a technician as a route runner.
2: And I'll go with that Colin Johnson fade in the red zone. No, just kidding. Obviously not that one. There was no separation <laughs> on that one. That entire play, when you watch that on film, that was like, oh my God, that third down in the red zone. And there, I don't think a single receiver on that play had even an inch of separation from the defender. I have no idea what the expectation is or what the goal is on a play like that. But I don't have a, I don't have a great route run. I mean, I could give it to Tony, but that's really an after-the-catch type play, the one he got injured on.
1: How about uh, the best throw of the game here? Yeah, I'm going to go with the third and 14 throw from the far hash to Kadarius Tony on the first drive. We broke it down. I mean, that drive started in such an abysmal manner, and the Giants were able to assemble something, credit to Daniel Jones and the offensive line even, even though they were terrible on that first play, to hold up to get the ball down the field methodically. They would opened up some holes blocking, but at route and throw from Daniel Jones to Kadarius Tony third and fourteen. I think that was probably one of the best offensive plays of the game, sadly.
2: Yeah, unfortunately. I don't have anything else I can I can put there really Really bad offensive film. All right, uh, best play call. I'm going to start by saying N.A. again, Na- not active for me. I, didn't, I think this was a really regressive game for uh, Jason Garrett here. Like you said, there were opportunities for him based on the coverage that uh, the coverages the Rams played and really what's happened to that Rams secondary. It's not the same as it was after losing two of their players to free agency. And yet, he kind of went back and reverted to the old Garrett. There wasn't much of, the, there wasn't much of those, like, flood concepts. There wasn't much, many of those routes that put stress on the safeties. No, not as many half-field high-low reads for Jones. It just felt like we went back to old Garrett in this game, and that was a big kind of reason to me. I mean, not the only reason. Again, you lose Andrew Thomas, you lose Tony, you already have all these other injuries. But a big reason for why the offense struggled so much and why I don't really have a play call of the game. Nick, do you have
1: anything you could throw out there? no i don't have a play yeah. call either but did you say not active for na
2: uh i hope not <laughs> <laughs> this I could be as bad it. as my wide receiver <laughs> corpse I, I really hope not but we'll, we'll look oh, back on this i film, love you man, man. yeah it, you know what i'm under the bright lights here at the blue wire studio okay it's a little hot in here i got that there's a I, i'm under i feel a little bit of, of pressure to perform so you know sometimes when you're under pressure to perform i mean you know this better than anyone Nick. Nah, I just got you there.
1: I, hey, I love like the, that I love the, I love the shot there, which like doesn't doesn't thing? make sense to my personal life. Everybody, <laughs>
2: <laughs> just make sure you clarify that. All right, best player overall. Do you have one?
1: Uh, best player overall. I mean, I think we could say the two receivers. Uh, I'm right. going to go with Kadarius Tony, and that says a lot. About the New York Giants, because
2: yeah. he played, I think, six snaps. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to see Shepard, but I kind of went back and looked at the film. A lot of it was garbage time work. I'm going to go with Tony, too, and it's just the state of where this offense was. All right, here we go. Uh, we warned you guys this is going to be the worst we've had it all year. Um, but, you know, we, we look at this film over and over from both angles, and we try to come up with a fair grade based on our grading scale. And you could look back at our other podcasts to kind of compare to,
1: uh, you know, past grades. But give me your
2: pass blocking grade
1: 1 to 10, Nick jeez my pass blocking grade is a 1.3 and i think i'm even being generous you there are. because i'm saying hey you have one of the you have one of the best players of and again here we go you know throwing a bunch of praise <laughs> at aaron Donald, but one of the best players to Ever play football really at that position? I think when it's all said and done, he's going to go down as one of the best defensive linemen, and you're tasked to block that with a bunch of your backups, which makes me be like, okay, I'm not going to go into the 0.6 category, which I think is fair given the game. So I'm going to go with that one point. What was it, three? <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm going to go 0.9. I'm in the zeros. I can't. I mean, I just tried. I watched this so many times, and I'm just like, there are so there's like no well-blocked play in pass protection. There wasn't a single one that I found on film where I'm like, all right, he had all day there. He could throw and it's just crazy like the state of this offensive line man i just i can't believe we're here i can't believe we're at this point when the stated goal by this team four years ago was the first thing we we're going to do is fix this offensive line you had the second pick you had the fourth pick overall you had the sixth pick overall you traded for extra first round picks you had all these high second round picks and all the cap space in the world they spent a million dollars in free agency, millions of dollars in free agency and here here we are all right give me a run blocking grade one to ten i think it was a little better here
1: um, Yeah, I I gave it 3.6. I think there were solid holes. I mean, it's still not great. There were some solid holes that Devontae Booker hit. I felt like Devontae Booker wasn't hurt in this game, replacement of Saquon Barkley, but you're never going to be able to to replicate an athlete like Saquon Barkley, but there were some solid holes that he was able to find and well-blocked up plays where the Giants picked up, you know, 9, 14 yards, but they were few and far between. And when the Giants got down by multiple scores in the second quarter, they just kind of had to abandon the running game. So I went with a, what was it? A 3.6, not great whatsoever, but better than the pass blocking, I'll say.
2: Yeah, I'm on a 3.1 and I think... (laughs) The reason he even rose that high was just because of the first drive where they had the 14-yard uh, run with Booker and the 9-yard run with Booker. Just not much. And, again, once you get down by that much, it's hard to run the ball. And, obviously, and you know, there's not much of a sample size, but it, it's just not there. It doesn't look like it's going to be there all season for this run game. And we talked about it last. It's so interesting because they found success with the run game toward the end of last year, really relying on their go-to play. And they're just not finding that same kind of success this year. They really regressed. It's just a good example of how, you know, Like you always say, Nick, progression is not linear. It's not like you started to make progress in the second half of 2020. That means it's going to go up. It doesn't. It doesn't always go up, and we've noticed that this year with the run blocking. So that's all the time we have for today on the All-22 Offensive Film Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening and tuning into the Big Boo Bander Podcast. As always, you can find us on iTunes where we hope you take the time to rate, review, subscribe us. That's what really helps us grow. This one you're going to be able to find on YouTube. And as you can see, we're recording from the Blue Wire studio. It's pretty damn cool here. So we're excited about this one. Follow us on YouTube. Just type in Big Blue Banter. You'll see our logo and you can follow us there. As always, follow us on Instagram as well, NY Banter. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week. We'll talk to you.